quite rightly, some people will think that talking about green stuff is a middle-class indulgence and they are struggling to get from day to day. Mm. It means very little to them. Um, And, you you know, Bristol's a, a prime example of that. I'm Neil Maggs and this is Bristol Unpacked, speaking to fascinating Bristolians on topics where others may fear to tread. Brought to you by the city's community-owned media, the Bristol Cable. In this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked, it's all about politics. There's been utter chaos in Westminster for several weeks now, so what better way to examine what's going on and talk to somebody that's actually there four days a week is the Labour Party's Bristol East MP, Kerry McCarthy. So, what's been going on? Will things settle down now that Rishi Sunak is Prime Minister? And the Labour Party, they're shooting up in the polls, will they win the next election? And if so, when they get there, how can they guarantee the promises of real radical change that's needed in this country? And Kerry herself has a portfolio in the Shadow Cabinet for Climate and Energy, We talked to her about the climate change disaster. Are Labour going far enough? And what can we really do to try and change things for the better, not just for this country, but for the planet? Enjoy. Hi, Kerry. Hi there, Neil. You're the East Bristol MP and you are Mm -hmm. the longest serving MP uh, by, by some distance. Yeah, Darren Jones likes to call me the veteran MP because it makes me sound <laughs> ancient. And uh, of course, Darren's very young. So, yeah, the veteran MP for Bristol East. So, I mean, you're not technically the oldest, or am I allowed to ask you that or not? Karen's a little bit older, not much. But uh, there's three of us that are, yeah, getting into the second half of our 50s. And there's Darren, who's like a mere child. And East Bristol, for those that, that don't know, is kind of... Uh, Froomevale, Fishponds, Brislington, West East, parts of St George, and you are my mum's MP. All right, well, that's a privilege. Yeah. yeah, she speaks quite highly of you, but she gets confused as to what is a councillor and what is an MP. I think sometimes. <laughs> just basically, yeah. just tell her to give me credit for all the good things and blame the council blame for the all the bad things. For that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. What's that like though? Being so, you've been elected five times. Um, you know, as you say, you've, you've been. Mm-hmm. You've been around quite some time. You must mm-hmm. have seen a lot of sort of changes, I would say good and bad, but possibly more bad in, in, in the last sort of, particularly the last sort of five or six years in, in politics. It's become a bit more, is it a bit more divisive than, than it used to be? Yeah, well, well, looking back, um, when I was first elected in 2005, obviously Labour were in government, but it was the last, you know, we'd, we'd been in for quite a while. And yeah, there were, there were political things happening, like, you know, we ended up with the global financial crisis. But generally speaking, things were quite staged. You know, you knew where you were from day to day. And then with the coalition government, again, you know, there there were political differences, there were arguments, there were votes you were trying to win, but fairly stable. And then I think it was Brexit, wasn't it? You know, there's been Brexit, there's been COVID, there's been, you know, on our third prime minister this year, even things like the Queen dying, you know, obviously there's quite a sense of unrest around um, a big constitutional change like that. So yeah, it's just been completely a lot, crazy, a lot of tur- you know? a lot of turmoil. Yeah, and, and it's yeah, been quite, and it's just it's like I mean, I, yeah. you know, and particularly now, you know, I have no idea what the government policy is in a huge range of things because Liz Truss got in and jettisoned quite a lot of the 2019 manifesto and went mm. to some extremes on things yeah. um and then there's been u-turns but i'm not quite sure what they've u-turned on and you know 
Grant Shapps have taken over from Jacob Rees-Mogg, will you assume that he's going to have a very different agenda? But he hasn't said anything yet. So it's quite it's quite odd. And, um, you know, in some ways, yeah, we want things to become more boring. Stabilise a little bit. Yeah, Yeah. we want them to stabilise because until they do, it's quite difficult to hold the government to account because literally you just don't know. (laughs) Yeah, If you don't know what they're doing, you don't know whether you agree with it or not. I was away. So we haven't recorded one of these shows for a bit. I was away um, walking in Spain and I left just before the Queen's funeral and I kind of stayed away from from social media and the news in general. And I sort of picked up some of it as I was coming back. So I was away for a month. And it was like, it's been utter chaos. And yeah. for someone who's inside the building, just give give us a sort of sense of, of how that's been. It, it must be mad. Well, it is. I mean, if you take the, the fracking debate we, we did um, a couple of weeks ago. So that was like Labour gets 17, I think it is, opposition days a year when basically we choose the topics and we put mm. things to the vote and they're not binding on the government. But obviously, you know, it, it puts them on the spot about where they stand politically on things. So we decided to call for a vote on fracking because the Tories had said in their 2019 manifesto um that they would keep the moratorium, you know, keep the ban on fracking unless the science showed it was safe. And when Liz Truss got in and Jacob Rees-Mogg got given the energy brief, amongst other things, he said, no, we're, we're, we're starting to frack. So we thought that was worth testing, testing the will of the House, as they put it. Yeah. And it just erupted into complete chaos because the whips on the Tory side had said to the Tory MPs, you know, this is a vote of confidence in Liz Truss, no matter what your personal views are on fracking, no matter, you know, the manifesto that you got elected on, you've got to vote against Labour. And then um, I got up, because I'm shadowed climate change, I got the job of winding up the debate. And then the Mm. minister who followed me told everyone it wasn't a vote of confidence. And you just saw these Tory MPs just like not knowing which division lobby to go into. The whip apparently marched through the division lobby and she was going to resign and Liz Truss was running So you were right there when you were right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were right in the middle of this because it was that debate that that triggered it, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, I partly caused it. So it was me and Ed Miliband. He opened the debate. I finished it. And the deputy chief whip is showing me his phone across the chamber. So the Tory, he's somebody Mm. I know reasonably well, showing me that they did send out a message saying it's a vote of confidence and nobody told him. It was just this minister announcing it now wasn't. There's nothing worse as an MP than forcing yourself to defend something you're not very happy with yeah. because it's your party. And you know that we all yeah, we You have to, to do, do that it. sometimes, though, don't well, you? Some, sometimes, yeah. You know, it's collective responsibility and you yeah. choose which issues you go to the wall and which ones you don't. So it's not a, a good place for them to be in. And particularly... If it was some sort of national policy that wouldn't really immediately affect their constituents. But basically, mm. all these Tory MPs you know, from the fracking areas, a lot of the Red Wall seats, knew that their constituents were violently opposed to it. They yeah. also knew, because this is what politics is like, that the moment they voted against the ban on fracking, Labour would be putting out social media stuff telling their constituents that they'd voted for fracking. Mm. And... So, you know, really unhappy. So they all got up and made speeches saying, I don't support fracking, but, you know, Labour's playing political games. I'm going to vote with the government. And then it turns out they didn't really need to have done that because it wasn't a vote of confidence. And of course, you know, Liz Truss resigned the next morning. So um, Ed Ed Miliband said at our team meeting the next week, you know, well, we we set out to cause a bit of trouble, but um, we kind of overachieved. (laughs) Yeah, I think you probably did. (laughs)
I remember when you saw the clips of Margaret Thatcher being driven away from Downing Street with tears in her eyes. And for some reason, I felt some empathy there, even though I thought she was a terrible woman and had done terrible things. Um, With Liz Truss, it was a bit different because I didn't feel like it was particularly personal empathy but there was very much a a more rational thinking god this must be the most humiliating experience anyone can go through and like when she resigned Mm. but I think maybe it's just because she's quite robotic and also I I shadowed her when I was shadow defra secretary and she didn't really talk to me so I didn't really feel like it was a human being in some ways you know she's quite wooden isn't she she's quite robotic I say quite robotic in her responses yeah Yeah. but there are some other Tories you know there's people that um well, you know, let, let's say Neil Parrish. And Neil Parrish was chair of the EFRA Select Committee, and I was on that committee for quite some time. And he's mm. the one that ended up resigning for downloading Tractor oh, or yeah, whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So with that, you know, although, you know, disagreed with him on quite a lot of things, thought he, you know, was a bit of a buffoon in some ways, and I hope he doesn't listen to your podcast. But, yeah. you know, we were on quite <laughs> sort of friendly terms. And yeah. you do sort of feel, I mean, obviously I think it was, totally wrong what he did and he was clearly I mean I think his wife sort of very publicly called him an idiot for doing it um but there is a bit of you that thinks you know for your political career to end like that but also your whole reputation you know the first thing in his obituary is going to be tractor porn guy and you can't help but feel a bit of empathy in those sort of situations have we lost that ability? Um, I don't know if you read John Ronson's book around sort of shaming yeah, um, yeah, and yeah, cancelling yeah. people, you know, ending their careers on Twitter. Have we, have we lost a little bit of empathy and understanding? I mean, you tell me, this is what I'm interested in, whether there's differences from the, the old days yeah. of, of Parliament to now, where, you know, it's okay to share a drink in the bar with opposition MPs and have friendships with them and your politics to be different. We've gone into a bit more of a tribal mentality yeah. a bit more, do well, you think? people, there are sort of cross-party... It's not. It's, it's be people being friendly. You know, the same way like you are with work colleagues. You know, yeah, who might have different views, and they might be people you wouldn't choose to socialise with out of work. But you know, mm. there were people that you would stop and chat to, and there's some that you actually quite like, and you just try and stay off politics in some ways. Well, you know, would you socialise? Would you or do you socialise with with Tory MPs? No, I mean, to be honest, I don't socialise that much with Labour MPs. I'm one of the boring ones. I don't tend right, to really okay. go to the bars or anything. I'm just busy doing my emails and that. But um, I wouldn't I wouldn't ever, I don't think I've ever said, oh, let's just meet up for a drink or meet up for a coffee or whatever. Mm. It tends to be like, say, if you're on an overseas delegation, you would spend quite a bit of time with them. But there yeah. are people like if you bump into them in the coffee queue, you will have a conversation with them. Um, there's a lot of gossip, as you can imagine. So, yeah. um, so you wouldn't adhere to the line. I mean, there's been a few examples, hasn't there? Um, I think Angela Rayner got in trouble for calling, uh, you know, Tory scum. I think famously Bevan said that they were lower than vermin. Yeah, um, yeah. You wouldn't, you wouldn't kind of adhere to that attitude towards conservatives. I think, I think when I first got elected, it was a bit more like that. Um, I remember. Mm. When I did my maiden speech, Ian Paisley, so the senior Ian Paisley rather than junior, is in Parliament now. The Ian Paisley that Kerry is referring to is Reverend Ian Paisley, who was a Protestant leader of the Northern Irish Democratic Unionist Party, the DUP, who is no longer with us. Uh, Not to be confused with his son, Ian Paisley, who is also a member of the DUP. Ian Paisley spoke after me and congratulated me and then I saw him in the corridor and he held the door open and he said oh you know very good speech whatever and there was a bit of me that was just like you know partly because my Irish background but yes totally recoiled oh my god you know I'm smiling at Ian Paisley (laughs) and um but then as as time goes on 
you know, I suppose some people would be, you know, think it was bad. They'd think you'd sort of be gone, gone native a bit. And, yeah. um, but you you've do. You've lost your edge. Yeah. Yeah. You've lost yeah. your edge. But I mean, there's obviously some that you, um, despise, you know, um, because of what they stand for. There's some that you just think are very weird personalities or not very nice people. Um, mm. You know, and mentioning no names, but perhaps the new Home Secretary might sort <laughs> yeah. of come to mind. Just want to jump into a story today. If we can get into the, into the politics a bit, there's been a, there's an article with the Guardian, Labour MPs press Keir Starmer to set out wealth tax plans. Obviously, this yeah. is a it's a big big talking point, and uh, we're we're in a you know on the the crest of really really difficult times, aren't we? And one way to raise money is to tax extreme wealth in in the country. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the number of billionaires in the UK is at a recorded high last year. What are your personal views on tax and, and should and could and will Labour go a bit further than they currently are suggesting? So, Yeah, well, it's it's difficult. I mean, that was Richard Bergen, wasn't it? And I'm not sure the other name, but a couple of backbenchers. Yeah, Rebecca yeah. Long-Bailey, you've got yeah. uh, also um, John Trinkett, which you could say, are, yeah. you know, a, a clear yeah. sort of, you know, left of the party, but also yeah. Green Party's Molly Cato. So a few people have come yeah. out and said that. Yeah. Is this just politicking? Is that what you're suggesting because of who they are a bit? Yeah, they're, they're on the, the, the sort of left of the party and wealth taxes is quite a totemic issue when it comes to that so it's mm-hmm. in some ways you know it, it gets a little bit frustrating when the papers will say Labour MPs call for this because actually it's like the campaign group from Labour MPs which is whereas the headlines sort of suggest that it's like a whole bunch of, of cross party you know people across it's, the it's, it's, it's that people with very yeah. much a certain position in the yeah. Labour Party yeah. that would be called the, the, the left yeah, yeah. but there yeah. are things that we um it seems like a, a lifetime ago now but you know when Kwasi Kwarteng um brought in his mini budget and was talking about scrapping the 45p rate of tax, you know, on the the, the yeah. highest rate of tax on people, you know, comfortably earning six-figure salaries. So Labour was opposed to that. You know, we forced a U-turn. Some of the things that we have spoken about, um, there's it's like tax on on dividends and so on, you know, which is obviously people with you know that sort of unearned income and mm. um, removing the VAT the charitable status so well that private schools don't get the VAT uh, benefits so th- there's sort of things that you could say that we're at that end of the spectrum in terms of targeting mm. people that are, are better off but I mean in ter- it's, it's just so difficult at the moment because um, the mini budget you know and this isn't me trying to score political points you know it did crash the economy it's caused huge upheaval um, we're now being told that we're going into recession and we'll be in recession until yeah. the latter half of 2024 interest rates going up I think they said it was the longest recession in 100 years or something but um, mm-hmm. there's a lot of different but is that not, if, just, if I can yeah. just jump in is yeah. that not more the reason that people would say to, to do so but just give you some some sort of stats it's the um Tax Justice UK claims up to 37 billion could be raised by introducing a string of wealth taxes, including equalising capital gains tax with income tax and introducing a 1%, only 1% on assets over 10 million. There's been a coalition of, I think, over 40 of charities and campaign groups that are pushing for this. Is that, uh, I know know this is a political thing, is that going too far for you then? Well, I think the starting point, if you're a chancellor preparing your budget, your mm. your starting point should be how much money do we need coming in and how much do we need to to spend? And it's that's why that's what I was going to say because we things are very different now to how they were even a couple of months ago. You obviously mm. had the pandemic and coming out of that, and nobody's quite clear what the legacy of that is. But you know, so at the moment, for example, unemployment is is pretty low. 
but now people are predicting it could rise significantly. So you've just got to look. I, th- I think the better starting point is not who you think deserves to pay more tax. It's like, what do we need to spend money on? And um, and then make sure that the burden of that falls fairly. So the windfall tax, I mean, obviously, this is something I've, I've been reading in the last 24 hours that they're going to cave in on this again. But Labour was calling for the windfall tax on the oil and gas companies. You heard BP announcing record profits again. Um, I was doing media on it this week, you know, double what they got this time last year. On the windfall tax, I mean, you know, it's it's unearned profit. They've basically benefited yeah. from the global situation. It's not because they put in a lot of investment or anything. Shell yeah. aren't paying any of the, the windfall levy that Sunak, he, he introduced a kind of half-hearted levy earlier this year to pay for the energy bills package. So that's kind of like quite, a, you know, he doesn't want to introduce another one. But I think now with Hunt, a week on Monday, we've got... Um, Jeremy Hunt's going to be coming up with another fiscal event, as they call it, and it's yeah. looking like they now may may have to concede. But one of the the basic things is when Sunak introduced this this levy, um, he matched it with an investment allowance. So if companies like BP and Shell wanted to invest in new oil and gas, they got ninety one p in the pound back. So basically, yeah. Shell just did that, and you know, ended up avoiding the, the the sort of tax. So it's things like that where it's different. And I think the windfall tax, you know, it would be something that would run for quite a few years, mm-hmm. and um, you know, we'd need to look at how much that would raise, and that partly does depend on the global situation. You know, do you um, have that be? You know, if there was a Labour government now, do you honestly think that we wouldn't be in the same situation? Well, we wouldn't be. Um, we wouldn't have had the mini budget, um, yeah, which is obviously what's destabilised things, and that's why interest rates are going up, and and so on. And that was just based, yeah, that whole thrust of um, what Kwasi Kwarteng and Liz Trust were trying to do about trickle down economics, so tax cuts for the wealthy. We obviously wouldn't have done that. In yeah. terms of the rising fuel bills, you know, the, we would have been affected by the global economic situation. But like I was saying, the solution that we're pressing for, on which the government looks like adopting, you know, that that was a Labour policy. So the windfall, we'd have gone for the, the windfall tax, but we would have backdated it, might have put it at a higher level, um, would have scrapped the investment allowance. So you're not basically mm. taxing them, but then giving it back to them with the other hand. So, yeah, we, we think that we could have raised an awful lot more money. The other thing that, you know, we've been pressing for is um, just trying to bring down energy bills by retrofitting houses. So we've got this programme of six million a year for 10 years um, to, sorry, did I say million? Billion, I think. Yeah, Yeah. a million doesn't go very far. Um, uh, And if, you know, if that had been started after the 2019 election, there would have been a couple of million houses already that would have been retrofitted and have much lower fuel bills. And one of the really frustrating things is, so the idea is you'd retrofit them so they get up to at least EPC, Energy Performance Certificate C grade, which is, you know, reasonably decent. You know, in the last five or six years, another more than a million, about 1.2 million houses have been built that are lower than that standard. So again, you know, Labour had a policy for zero carbon homes. You want to build new homes that actually meet your energy performance standards. And the fact that there's so many crap houses, to put it mildly, being built just means that you, yeah, you're creating another job for yourself when it comes to trying to insulate them at a future date. So, yeah, so I think it would have been different. We'd, we'd have been faced with some of the same pressures, you know, obviously with yeah. with Ukraine and, you know, the fallout from COVID, all those, those sort of issues. But I think we'd have been in a pretty different place. 
Um, let's talk a bit about your brief. Last week, the UN uh, said there is no credible pathway to keep the rise in global temperatures below the key threshold of 1.5 centigrade. Has catastrophic impacts are predicted all over the world. This report uh, says that government action around the world has been woefully inadequate and only an urgent transformation of society will avoid disaster. Um, the current party's programme, though is obviously positive compared to the Tories, um, would it be described, do you think the UN would think it was woefully inadequate, given the scale of the challenge that we face? No, I mean, I certainly hope not. When you've got a situation where one party is in government, so they get judged not just by what they promise, but by what they deliver, whereas Labour is in a position that, at the moment, people can only judge us by what we promise. But because the polls are looking to be in our favour, because the next election is getting closer, I think we are very focused on how we turn things into reality. So as I said, with the retrofitting homes pledge, my job is partly to be talking to companies, you know, to house builders, to people that would get the skills and training there. You know, how do you find the workforce to retrofit 19 million homes with a view to if we win the next election, being able to start doing that straight away. And then obviously a few years down the line, you judge us by whether we've lived up to that. So are you kind of mindful of doing that? Are you mindful? I, I even think if you totally, think about the situation yeah. in Bristol, for example, with the with the clean air zone, which is coming in, that as much yeah. as there's been a huge amount of lobbying and people, you know, the Green Party have risen a bit in Bristol and people pushing and pushing for that. I know it's many, many people that are really cheesed off that it's going yeah. to cost them more money, their business, and you've got to try and bring people with you. So is there a yeah. sense a little bit, with with Labour at the moment that you, you know, obviously you want to show willing, but you almost don't want to create any policies too much that kind of polarise people for fear of not getting elected at the next election. Yeah, well, I, I think, I mean, again, with party conference, there were some big green announcements. We've got something called the Green Prosperity Plan, which is £28 billion a year um, on green investment. And that's mm. one of my day jobs is like trying to work out how we spend that money which is quite a nice place to be in because most of my colleagues in other departments are like going to the chancellor cap in hand saying give me some money for schools or hospitals but we've got this mm. 28 billion and some of the announcements we made yeah, the retrofitting homes but also clean energy by 2030 so that's yeah. completely green electricity um and gb energy that i mentioned and some other things and there will be more to come on that from but when it was presented at conference, it wasn't presented as this is all about decarbonisation and saving the planet. It was basically this is about bringing your energy bills down, which it will. Um, this yeah. is about creating the green jobs of the future, which is really important. Um, this is about energy security. So we don't have to worry about what Putin's up to you know, in Ukraine or what happens in the Middle East. And then this is about saving the planet. And mm. it went down really well. And I think that is how you show people yeah because quite rightly you know, some people will think that talking about green stuff is a middle class indulgence and they are struggling to get from day to day mm. it means very little to them um and you, you know bristol's a, a prime example of that you go down to some of the south bristol estates you go to some part of my constituency there will be quite a few people with that mindset but if you start talking to them saying well actually this means hundreds of thousands of green jobs it means apprenticeships it means your homes will be insulated so that your energy bills come down we're going to try and make electric vehicles more affordable so you know because at the moment we know they're out of your price range so you um, have to yeah you have to it, yeah. this is the thing i think a lot of people don't always understand about politics is that you have to present something in a way that's digestible to 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 a broader kind of a, a, 
a line. But it's also if the right you, thing to just... do because we're seeking to represent them. We're not we're not like a little fringe group just speaks to. Is that, is that know, how you would see yeah. some parts, particularly of the Green Party, that that it is more of a kind of protest stamping pushing? Because they would probably say and have said, you know, a number of Green Party politicians that Labour are you're not going far enough, you're greenwashing. You're it's kind very of... easy for them to say that. And actually, what I found when I talked to them is they tend to know, I mean, I don't have as much contact with them as councillors do, but mm-hmm. I know that Marvin gets quite frustrated that, you know, they'll do something like bring forward the climate emergency declaration. And then he says, OK, what do you want me to do to get us to net zero? And they, they're like, well, that's your job. And it's like, well, no, you know, if you want to, if you aspire to show leadership in this city, you've got to come up with your own plans as well. The messaging kind of only really lands in people that are already there in that bubble but actually what you've got to try and do is to get people outside of that bubble to engage with this stuff if you're really going to make and transform society i guess is it nudge politics is that what they call it these days there was a really good article i read a couple of years ago about because downing street i think it might have been in cameron's time but they had this nudge unit and it was Mm. a reflection on that's right yeah yeah yeah. but but you have this ideological divide between um certain Tories and Labour politicians where, you know, Labour by definition, we're quite an interventionist party. We believe in the role of the state to do things. Tories tend to believe in individualism, uh, leaving things to the market, you know, everyone for themselves. And actually Lib Dems, I always think that's the, you know, if you're a proper Lib Dem as opposed to somebody that's just sort of got involved in your community in that. But the ideology of Lib Dems is actually quite individualistic as well. Um, you know, it's about individual liberty yeah. as opposed to that collective. And I would say that in terms of the, the main political parties, we're the only one that's got that put in the public. Go- I mean, I actually, I did a debate with Dominic Greaves and yeah. he said it was a young famous debate. And he said that he thought what I was saying was quite chilling because I was basically saying that sometimes the public good overrides individual liberty. And I still I still believe that, you know, and you see it all the time with things like, you know, the smoking ban. Oh, that is, with, the, with the lockdown, didn't we? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know, public, exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. So it's it's not chilling at all, but from a Tory point of view, it's okay to nudge, but you can't tell people what to do or force yeah. them. So you could nudge by having apples near the counter in a shop and the chocolate higher up, but you couldn't put a tax on the chocolate yeah. or discount yeah, I'll, g- I'll give you a really good example of that really good example of that sports centers uh that also have the snack machines yeah, there was yeah. a big drive when i was working when i was working in health and sport where we were getting healthy machines yeah and they basically put the healthy machine next to the chocolate and crisps machine and mm. it was like want well, to know because of that whole choice thing and i was of the opinion well it hide the chocolate machine somewhere else yeah, um, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you, sometimes people don't need a choice. That might be a bit draconian, but um, yeah, yeah. But, but yeah. I think that's the ideological thing. But that's why I'd say nudge is quite a Tory thing. But I yeah, would okay. be yeah. far more interventionist than that. And I think then going back to the, yeah, and that's where I'd say the divide is a bit with with other political parties. I'm not so sure with the Greens, mm. but what I found was they feel like I'm on their turf when I talk about green things, which is annoying. So they try to sort of. Yeah, and they, they use this phrase. I think they see about it, yeah, keeping Labour honest or keeping you yeah, know, ter- yeah, you know, with that. And there's, there's obviously certain things, you know. Is like, that not Kerry because they feel that you're nicking their ideas or you're sort of doing it slightly, slightly wash, wash down a bit? Yeah. Yeah, well, but but when you look at the substance, we're not actually doing that. So they they were sort of. So I remember speaking about something. They said, "Well, that was." in the Green Party manifesto in 1973 and it's like well so are you saying I'm not allowed to suggest it you know and there's obviously some things you know like in terms of 
dietary change and stuff like that where I'm ahead of most of them it's got to be said but even that yeah. I think they find a bit frustrating but on that just the, quickly you're yeah. vegan yeah. yeah so I know some people that are that do believe that veganism has a huge contribution to make to climate change and where you get your food from and stuff like that yeah. that's quite radical for some people yeah uh, seen as a radical transformation um yeah so you know if you take that as a as a concept and you take that further i guess there are people you know in and out of the green party but activists or you know we've seen all the all the campaigning from extinction rebellion that just feel that party politics and politicians just aren't going further enough for this real transformational change you must be somebody that's a little bit there if you're a vegan you understand this stuff a bit more can you can you do you take their point i think on that um politicians yeah. of all colours are very nervous yeah. about getting into the what should people eat debate. Yeah. Um, I was vegan by the, before I got elected. I've been vegan like 30 years. When I started speaking about it in politics, I think everyone thought I was a bit crazy. And now actually it's quite reassuring that you've had people like mm. Alok Sharma, you know, the COP president, who's, you know, people who are meat eaters all saying, no, we should eat less meat. I sort of prefer to talk about people choosing plant-based meals, you know, rather than you've got to go vegan. Because apart from anything else, I think vegan is quite an ethical stance. So it's it's a bit different to just trying to eat less meat for the sake of the planet. It is a bit frustrating that we can't say more. I'm quite keen on the government's just done this public procurement consultation. So on food and public sector catering. And when we see the results of that, I would like to think when they start putting into practice, they could maybe try to encourage a bit more plant-based eating in schools, hospitals, all that sort of thing. But um, just to, I just wanted to pick up on, on one thing I'd say about the Greens, though. So what I find is, so for example, there was this climate and ecological emergency bill that I'm getting loads and loads of emails asking me to sign. And there's a new iteration of it now, which is actually quite a bit better. Um, but this bill, they were calling for a climate assembly to look at what needed to be done to get us to net zero and all that. So, And, and I thought this bill was really poor because I, th- I think it was saying net zero by 2030. And it's just absolutely impossible to do that. You know, it just cannot, you know, technology's not there. The You just couldn't do it. You couldn't deliver the things you need to deliver in that time scale. But then also it wanted a climate assembly. So I would go back to them and say, well, we don't need a climate assembly because I am very clear in my mind what we need to do to get to net zero. And I want to get cracking on it. I don't want to spend, you know, huge. There was a, a climate assembly that some of the select committees organised. I think it cost a quarter of a million pound. It reported, and then when you say to the Greens, "Well, we've had one," they say, "Yeah, but it didn't. Um, it didn't come up with the right answers because it wasn't radical enough." You know, mm. and I said, "Well, this is what ordinary people have come up with," and I know it was a very scientific, well-run experiment. So, and then it was like, "Well, you weren't asked the right questions." So basically, mm. I oppose this bill on practical grounds, but also consultation is good, but it can be a way of kicking things into the long grass or stalling things. And you know, local government is particularly bad at. Uh, and it depends yeah, who you're talking to. Yeah, yeah, it depends who you're talking to and how much knowledge they have of a particular subject. So I guess the yeah. the green the greens would probably say what is stopping you being bolder, as you as, in their own words, what is stopping you being radical. Mm. But I was saying, you know, well, let's get on with it. We don't need to have a climate assembly because that will take two years out of the programme. We know mm. some of the things that have to be done now and we've spelt out some of these things. But sometimes they can be a bit, you know it becomes totemic so it's like you've got to back this bill well i think there's that sometimes that psychology which is that because this is presented by a certain party or a certain person therefore i have to oppose it by definition without knowing the detail and stuff yeah. like that i think and I, I think that the the um the kind of the the sense 
and I'll probably get in trouble for saying this, is that, that obviously if you've grown in around, and the Green Party have developed as a party, they're more multicultural than they used to be. I think they're looking at other areas and other issues than they did. But obviously, if you've been in that party for long, this is a single issue thing that you're very passionate about. It's almost, and, and you know, and in their defence, and you, obviously you would know this, it is arguably the most important issue in our times. However, I still go back to the point that, um, you know, if you don't know what you're going to eat tomorrow, um, yeah. or you don't know how you're going to get to work, it isn't the most important thing for you. As much as people want it to be, it just isn't. I yeah. know that from personal experience. I know that from the work I've done. And it's that bit that I think if they really want to make and connect with people, that it's that bit they need to also get right. Yeah, and that's why you have to talk about it in terms of energy bills and jobs and how yeah. people afford to get to work. Um because otherwise you're not you're not representing everybody and there's a lot I mean I've, I've yeah I was talking to people about Extinction Rebellion this morning and that is the classic dilemma with that isn't it is is it more important that people get to work or that people yeah. make a point about climate change and I think sometimes the people that are doing the protesting don't actually realize that if you know for example if, if some people don't get to work they don't get paid it's not like a job that you, you know, you and it's not working class that. people that are responsible yeah. for, for our, this kind yeah. of stuff, isn't it? Like they would yeah. probably say, "Well, this is what we're doing. We're trying to get the people talking and that kind of stuff." Yeah. I, I know it, it does piss off a lot of people. That I, I know, know, I know, but, but, yeah. But, but but also, you know, and I get that. But also, I suppose that they, you know, as I said earlier, they, you know, they're they're wanting that radical kind of change. Just want to jump in and tell you a bit about the Bristol Cable. We are a cooperative uh, membership newspaper and media organisation. We have a monthly newspaper, but we do lots of articles online. We do this show, and we do videos on various different topics across the city. And you can become a member. We have thousands of members at the moment. If you want to join, all you need to do is jump onto the Bristol Cable website, chuck some money in. Could be a pound, could be five pounds, ten pounds, whatever you want to do. And uh, you get a chance to come to AGMs, come to meetings, have an input into the type of stories and the type of stuff that we do. Do have a look. Back to the chat. Uh, you said it earlier, the polls are showing almost like a 40% lead. You know, Keir Starmer is running away with it if there was an election today. It would be a landslide if this continues. Do you see Rishi Sunak who, whatever you think of his politics, is clearly a, probably a little bit more of a safe pair of hands than the previous <laughs> two we've had. Do you see him tr- sort of taking a little bit of the centre ground that Starmer was sort of picking back up a little bit? Yeah, um, so the polls have closed a bit. Um, so I think we, I think the highest we got was about a 37-point lead, maybe 39-1. and one. And mm. I think now we're in the, the, the sort of 20s, which you'd absolutely expect, wouldn't you? Because it just was so dreadful. You know, towards the, the the sort of dying days of the the trust administration, but um, I don't really know what Rishi Sunak's politics are, because he's kind of risen slightly effortlessly without really. I think he was chief secretary of the treasury for a while, but COVID kind of masked what he really would have been like as a chancellor, because I know that he was very reluctant to go into lockdown and very reluctant to do the support packages. So mm. each time it was like there was political pressure when they felt they had to do it. So it wasn't his natural instincts. I mean, he had this eat out to help out thing, which was I don't think it's really probably bad the natural idea. instincts of That's, any, yeah. any conservative. Yeah. No, really, no, no exactly. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So I think actually he might be more right wing than people think he is. Um, yeah. And he might be, you know, he's obviously sort of very wealthy in his own right. I did sit on a committee with him at one point, but he didn't turn up very often. So again, I don't, he used to come no. in and shake hands and be smiley and, 
I just don't, yeah, I just really don't know whether... He's clearly quite got, ruthless, quite ruthless in, yeah, in how he's yeah. got into into that position. He he's has definitely got, more steady though, isn't he? I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unless you're a political, a lot of people listen to the show are kind of into politics, but a lot of people do go on personalities and interactions and things. And yeah. obviously the more that Boris was there, then you're going to trust that the more sensible, safe pair of hands that Starmer appears yeah and i guess that's been a bit of his appeal well now that you could argue that that's slightly been um yeah and you've got like jeremy know. hunt as chancellor who's quite the sort of definition of safe and boring exactly isn't he, really? so does you know, yeah. now need to do a bit more than just be the sensible alternative to bojo and and trust does he have to show a bit more personality perhaps or show kind of what he believes and feels a bit more of a vision yeah i think i think you have to do both don't you i mean one of the things we're not going to let them get away with is trying to pretend the last 12 years were nothing to do with them, which is obviously yeah. what they'd like, you know, like it's a new prime minister, a new team. Well, no, it's not. You know, he was part yeah. of the Boris Johnson era. So, yeah, there was nothing inevitable about the economy being where it is now on the brink of recession. That was because of the mini budget. And again, you know, the Tory thing. So you have to point to that. But but yeah, I mean, there's this phrase like oppositions don't win elections, governments lose them, which yeah. is right to an extent but if you look back at 97 we kind of knew from october 1992 that the tories were probably doomed i mean major had a very small majority anyway i think it was only about 21 but then you had black wednesday and it just went from one crisis to another and back to basics and all this sort of thing um we might be in a similar position now but But can i can i challenge that just a little bit and just say that i think the difference is and i say this as, as just just looking at it objectively uh, you said about 97, that there was a very clear vision, whether you agreed with it or not, for new Labour. What is what is the vision going to be for this yeah. farmer? Because no, I'm not ex- quite seeing it yet. Yeah. Yeah. That was exactly what I was going to say, is that you could have said from 1992, all we have to do is sit back and let them self-destruct. But actually we didn't. You know, people were excited about a Labour okay, government enough. coming yeah, in. Yeah, yeah. You know, and it's, it's a little bit difficult for Labour to sort of, get a platform for its vision when the Tories are, you know, they're providing all the popcorn moments, aren't they? There's this whole yeah, psychodrama yeah. going on. And war, what's the what's the phrase to sit back and let somebody destroy themselves yeah, I get. Yeah. But that, so that's if, my point. No Rishi's in, no Rishi's in, yeah. it's calm and pain. Yeah. What's the what's the next plan? Well that's that's what I'm that's what I'm thinking. So we, we did out um unveil quite a lot of conference, like I said, yeah. you know, so the things which people should hopefully find inspiring. But yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right that and, you know, as you get towards the election as well, people do want to know not just what our criticisms of the government are, but what we would do differently. And there's that balance to be struck between, um, you know, and this is what we saw with like the, the sort of Corbyn years, you know, people can point to the 2019 manifesto because it was full of, you know, things that people really, really wanted to hear. But you have got to be sort of sensible and credible at the same time and cost it. And we will be in a really difficult economic situation. So, um, yeah. It was just a pick and mix of, a pick and mix of wishes. Yeah, it was, it was all nice to have. Yeah. And it was, yeah. it was, and then, know, but, but, there, but I say in 2017, it, but, yeah. 2017 was yeah. for the last, there, yeah. there was that kind of vision and it probably got kind of lost, lost yeah. a bit along yeah. the way. But I think it's how, how do you, how do you get to a situation? And I get, I get the whole, if you're too purist, you know, you, you, you know, yeah. and I think we've been down that route, but also there's clearly been a slight rebrand and I don't want to go over all the sort of Corbyn Starmer stuff because it's looking back, but there's clearly been a rebrand to appeal to a working class patriotic person a bit more. And you can see that by the imaging and the language. Yeah. And I think that's probably the right thing to do because you ain't going to win back the rebel seats at all. But there's a danger of, of 
two things, I think. One is just it being about image and PR. And the other thing is it's about you've got to be a little bit careful with some of that territory, particularly around nas- patriotism, yeah. nationalism, that you don't fall into. And there's been some criticisms of some of that, the whole union jack yeah. bit. Where do you draw that line between electability, um, but also kind of, yeah, just slightly... I don't know, you know, don't want to fall into the populism well, you want a trap, do you? You want a principles-based approach. Yeah, you don't want to be populist. Yeah. And I think, actually, if you listen to this week's Prime Minister's questions, Keir's last question in particular was calling for what we thought needed to happen in terms of immigration and asylum. And it was just very, very clear. And I actually, I never, you know, I don't go out my way to creep to the boss, but I actually went up to him afterwards and said that was spot on. That was what I yeah. wanted to hear. Um which and he looked quite surprised, possibly because he knows I don't normally, you know. Yeah, because you would be quite hot on that. Because I know, yeah, and I've seen yeah. you at events, uh, at, you know, different faith groups over the years. I know your your multicultural constituency. It's something that yeah. you you're sort of passionate about. Are you uncomfortable with the fact that it isn't going strong enough to attack some of the Tories, you know, Rwanda policy, Labour? You yeah, know, no, no, I, th- I, I thought stuff, yeah. I thought it was spot on because he was saying, obviously, right, like, okay. Rwanda is totally, you know, wrong. But, you know, how, how you know, you have to address these problems at the root and, you know, allow the National Crime Agency to be able to tackle the, the people smuggling gangs, but also have a fair asylum seat system which isn't sort of leaving people in limbo so he, he, he covered quite a lot of bases but I, I thought he he got it right and I think Keir's instincts are sort of you know he was obviously you know had a, a very respectable job as director of yep. public prosecutions but if you look at you know his past as a human rights lawyer and particularly the thing I love was the McLeibel trial you know he defended the two people that were being sued by McDonald's for mm. saying that they you know that they basically destroyed the environment. And he did that as a pro bono case when he was a young lawyer. Yeah. And, so, and I think that is the sort of kind of person he is, you know, that it, there is a, a sort of element of challenging the establishment and standing up for the small guys and and so on. And, you know, I don't think that's left him. I think... Yeah, and um, he's got that, but it is a contentious issue. Whether, you know, a lot of people listen to the show, a lot of people w- won't, won't agree with this and it won't be something, and their views would be quite clear... But, you know, within a certain demographic and when perhaps even within the red wall seats, there is an issue around migration. There is that is there. We've seen it in Brexit. And I think if he doesn't get this right and leans too far one way or too far the other, I think this is where the Tories feel that they can triangulate Labour a little bit on migration. Yeah. Yeah. And that is why Suella Braverman is doing what she's doing, because actually, apart from anything else within her home office brief, we would really like to be talking about crime and the fact that the police don't go out to burglaries anymore, for example, and, and that the prosecution rate for rape cases is so tiny and the conviction yeah. rate is even worse. So we want to talk about that. She is very deliberately steering it onto this yeah, territory. Yeah, culture wars, because, isn't it? Culture yeah, wars, yeah. yeah. Yeah, war on woke, tofu eating, yeah, woke yeah, or whatever yeah. she calls us. So we do have to be careful, but that's why I liked Keir's response because I thought it sort of balanced that because, you know, the system is being exploited by some very unpleasant people, and that needs to be said, doesn't it, Kerry? It that does to need said. to be said because some people don't. If you shy away from that, all you're doing is then playing to the hands of people that have more insidious motivations. Yeah, on this yeah, stuff, and yeah? and not everyone. You know, I don't want anyone crossing the channel in a small boat, not least because it's incredibly dangerous for them. But that is not the way an asylum system should work. And we've got to come mm. up with a strategy to sort of, as I say, you know, take out the cr- criminal element. I yeah dealt with a lot of um, asylum and immigration cases over the years. And my view is, you know, you see some people that you really, really think need your help and you really want to 
get them, you know, so they can stay in this country, so they can get on with their lives, you know. And I've been out like door knocking and met people and they said, you know, you helped me 10 years ago and now I've got these two little kids. And it's like, you know, it's a lot and they're in yeah. school and they're doing really well and all that. But you do have people that aren't genuine asylum seekers, you know, and it might be they're economic migrants and they've come in from countries where, you know, you wouldn't want to live there. It's You can absolutely understand why they're trying to get a better life somewhere else. But for the system to work, you do have to have rules. So I'm not, you know, the Tories like to accuse us. Which of, would, like, which would be a slight division. So as much as yeah. the, the much as the Tories would, would, as you say, would try and go down that, you know, Labour is soft on migration. Uh, it also divides the Labour Party a bit, doesn't it? The left and the right, in well, not even left and the right, really, but kind of perhaps the... Um, you know, yeah, I think the, there's the a bit people of spectrum. I, the people I listed are the more the Corbynistas or the Starbucks, mm. if you want to get into that kind of thing, that yeah. it definitely does polarize a little bit in the party. There's a little bit of a difference yeah. of opinion about this stuff. How far yeah. you go? Yeah. And and you know, I I've I think I've just sort of seen the system let down people who really need their situation resolved and you know, and, mm. and things like not allowing them to work while the claims go through and all that. Um, yeah. So you, you want the system in some way to be, yeah, you want it to be fairer, but you don't want it to be lax because actually if you're talking about the provision that you can make for people, you have to have some, you know, some sort of limits because otherwise you, you can't provide as much help to the people who, who really do need it. And um, it's, yeah, and, and, and it is tricky, but, you know, there's also this, this, the separate issue from asylum of, of what we need by way of immigration. And we saw that with Brexit where people were just so, you know, control of our borders. Um, but I think it is coming home to people now that we don't have enough workers. So you impact, see like yeah. hospitality go down to someone like Cornwall over the summer and yeah. restaurants are closing because they can't get the staff. We can't get bus drivers in Bristol because of the HGV driver shortage. Yeah. Um, yeah, all the medical side of things. And it's just frustrating that you can't have a, that it has become you know, that unpleasant about, you know, keep the foreigners out type argument, whereas actually sure. there's quite a lot of them. Which is kind of in your constituency, actually, that a yeah. lot of people that you aren't familiar with East Bristol, yes, it is multicultural and it's certainly parts of fish ponds, but if you go into parts of St. George, I mean, there's been periods, where, you know, when I've worked in Barton Hill and St. George over the years where there's been a quite a strong National Front BMP stronghold around there. So you've, you've seen that tension literally uh, in your yeah, constituency I mean, and how I that's played say, out. Yeah, people have this idea of Bristol don't they from outside but my constituency was only 52 percent remain so yeah. that shows the divide doesn't it and yeah. and I remember actually like talking to Sky and that we were out door knocking quite so it might be in the 2017 election and he said well I voted for Brexit and he goes and I bet you don't know he was actually literally standing there with his van in like his, his driveway and he said I bet you don't know why I voted for it and I said immigration and he looked astounded he goes yeah immigration oh, really? and yeah. I just thought that really brought it home to me because I thought he must think politicians are so out of touch that they didn't realize that that's what Fair people enough. were thinking yeah. you know yeah. and I grew up in you know Luton which is like you, you know classic working it doesn't have the Cliftons in Luton you know it's very much a, well Luton a is, the, Luton is town, like, yeah. without labour Luton is the microcosm of this of the yeah. extremity of both sides yeah of this you've got stuff, Tommy Robinson yeah, and then you've, you've got, got a big Asian community um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah um it just it always struck me because I thought actually you know so I'm not communicating I and mean, the, the trouble yeah. is with being an MP is it's very easy to communicate with people who you know I get hundreds of emails and but it tends to be the people who 
agree, like you, you're sort of saying or on the Politically issues. engaged or they agree politically with you engaged, on you know. So or, at the yeah, moment, I'm yeah. getting hundreds of emails from people who are like Greenpeace yeah. or Friends of the Earth or RSPB. And I do a pretty good job of talking to them. Where it's mm. far more difficult is, and really, you know, beyond, you know, I do a column in the Bristol Post, I guess, but beyond going out door knocking, you, you, you have How a column in some of the out? voices as well, don't you? Yeah, Fishbond's Fish voice, voice yeah, and yeah, that. and that's yeah. pretty well read. And this but, leads um, to this, this I think, which is quite a um, quite an important question from where we are at with with Labour at the moment is on those issues of, of, of immigration. If Starmer leans too far to one way or too far the other, it can be quite tricky electorally. Is there a sense in politics that you have to? sometimes box a bit clever and not give your hand away completely at what you're going to do and want to do until you win. I mean, I, get, I, th- I mean, we're yeah. talking about Starmer. He's obviously done that. And what he's kind of said in the Labour Party oh, leadership right. um, yeah. to what he's done now, he's sort of changed and flipped approach. And, so, and he's been criticised for that. But actually, as a politician, isn't that what you kind of have to do if you want to win? I think you have to be honest with people, and um, sometimes. But they, he wasn't yeah. honest, was he? In some of the stuff around what you know, pre on about when the the leadership uh, election for Labour came, and I think so a lot of people in the left of the party feel that he has gone back on his word on a number of things. Yeah, I think. Uh, I and, think, and some people could say that's really bad, but actually, yeah. you could say that that would make a good uh, a politician and a good <laughs> prime minister. Yeah, well, I think I think it's it's like you know, politics is is about what you can actually do. Um, I don't, you know, I, I know people are very quick to cry betrayal, but sometimes it's moving away from a quite a crude approach to something to actually looking at the, the nuances of how you d- deliver something. Um, but yeah, I mean, there will be things where we will, you know, we can't sort of pick up the 2019 manifesto wholesale and implant it into 2024, not least because there were question marks about whether 2019 could be delivered. Um, so things have to change. But I suppose the, the point is, like, are you – is the end result the same? If you look at, say, something like energy policy, the mantra was always, like, nationalise energy. And then once you start actually learning more about energy policy as I've, you know, and, and, you know, in the new on that, mm. you actually realise, well – Oh, should we be talking about these big, you know, state-owned companies, or should we be talking about community localized companies? You look at what I, I met with Amoresco this week, who are doing the City Leap deal with Bristol, and that's how yeah. you leverage in private finance to do all that we need to do on that front. And you think, well, actually, that sounds like a quite good way of delivering on it. And yeah. you know, the more you look at it, you think, well, actually. Well, yeah, I mean, that was a Corbyn type thing, energy, yeah. wasn't it? And you had, and you had yeah. the, the internet, the Wi Fi thing for everything that was yeah. mocked yeah. a bit. Some, he has some of those things have shifted the overtop yeah. window a bit, but I yeah. think that doesn't matter. But the end it, result is it will be, you know, you are green in the economy, you yeah. are giving local people involvement in delivering their local services in a way, you know, so, you know, Amoresco, they're looking at waste from Avonmouth providing heating for the people of Bristol. And to me, you know, so, okay, they're a private sector company. You haven't nationalised things. And you might have said at some point you were going to nationalise the big six. Mm. But aren't you getting to where you want to be, which is, you know, just helping people on the ground and saving the planet? So, therefore, you know, is it really such a great betrayal that you've changed your mind about how I to do it? I guess it's about trust, though, Carrie, isn't it? Yeah. It's then if he says mm. something else and he just completely changes that, can you trust that word? So that was kind of what my, the, the sort of the root of that mm. question is really, is this just uh, what you have to do to win? And mm. then those, some of those principles and that vision will come out 
if and when you like do win the think, election. You know, that like I said, we're we're doing a lot of work. Um, you know, particularly in my case, it's on this twenty eight billion green prosperity plan. And it's not just like back of a fag packet stuff that sounds good mm. on a leaflet. It is, you know, a huge number of meetings to try to sort of work out how we can best do that. Starmer's really, really trusted him. He's also shown on yeah. several things that he's done the opposite. So, so, so I'm kind of taking it down that direction. You're wanting to yeah. talk about policy. It's that frustration. I know Marvin yeah. always <laughs> about yeah. it as well. That the media oh, yeah, simplifies, yeah, yeah. simplifies complicated, nuanced issues. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, they they do, and like I said, it's well. I, I once sort of said about Corbyn, um, uh, probably, uh, you know, I, I sort of said that I've not ever heard him say anything that couldn't fit on a t-shirt or something like that was a phrase, <laughs> and it got picked up a bit, and it was a bit of an aside, but you know, it is a bit like that. Well, you know, and I, I think I particularly felt it on the environment that you yeah. know, I don't really want to be here to slag of Corbyn, but I felt yeah, that I he could it, do the it, save yeah. the planet. But it, when I started trying to talk to him about the things I was trying to do with the Shadow Defra brief, I just didn't feel that he was getting anywhere. Like I would have liked to have come up with a land use strategy that talks, of, you know, all sorts of, you know, or, or how we change behaviour and all that sort of thing. There's plenty of people in Bristol and, you know, the, the new Labour people themselves that were ex-commies pretty far left that then sort of travelled to the centre. It's going to be really interesting to me what happens to a whole generation of people that do they just mm. go down the protest route or do they sort of co- not compromise or be a bit more uh, pragmatic in their politics? Um, it's yeah. an interesting flux times, I think, for that. Yeah, and I think that the answer is some will do one of those things and some will do the other. But, um, you know, uh, well, I, th- I think um, I'd certainly, you know, think the the hunger for a Labour government seems to be growing every day so that's obviously yeah I, a, a I know quite thing. radical people that would see themselves left of Labour that are now like I've had enough now I just yeah. you know and yeah. I think that that but the only the danger Kerry is that then it becomes like I guess like let you know sensible politics and then t- 10 years time to 12 years time if we don't create some of these radical changes we've spoken about then the Tories will be back in I think that's the fear of some of these people is that we don't want it to become uh, I know you were more of a brain knight than a barrel, but towards the latter end of Blair's time, it, it did start to feel uh, some of that vision was lost and it felt like a lot of people were left behind, which then led on to, I, you know, in my own opinion, people going down that sort of populist Brexit-y type route. You know, we do need to not leave those people behind this time when Labour get in and actually make, you know, sustained change to, to yeah. avoid that happening in the future. Well, that's what that's what you would like to see. I mean, if you look back at the last century and and how many years the the Tories were in power compared to us, they do a hell of a lot better on that front. Yeah. But um, you know, who knows? We, at the moment, we don't really know whether somebody can survive as prime minister from one week to the next. <laughs> I just wonder whether we've had this period of chaos, and and things will start to settle down now. Just generally, I just got this sense that that's going to happen, and this, mm. this sensible politics could be back. <laughs> now, am I being too optimistic? Well, I kind of thought that when Boris went, I thought oh, once she Liz Truss announced what she was going to do, I was like, yeah. okay, this is politics now because there's, there's an obvious ideological divide. It's not all this sort of messing mm. around and sort of silly stuff. And then you know, look what happened. So um, I don't know. I I think I think the world is a more volatile place but i would actually like there to be a bit of stability for a while i think i said that yeah, earlier that it just so that yeah but also yeah. so you can actually try to yeah because i think the government is persuadable on some things just you know 
we forced quite a number of U-turns already like yeah. on the fracking or whatever. But I think on the windfall tax, that's happening now. So from my point of view, you don't want to just be waiting for that golden moment when you get into government. You want to achieve things in the short term. Sure. And you need and you need to sort of at least know, I, I don't know who half the cabinet are at the moment because I've just lost yeah. track. Uh, but yeah, even during the time we've been recording this podcast and I haven't looked at Twitter for an hour and a half, yeah. I mean, who knows what we will suddenly log on and find has happened. You know? Yeah, so. indeed. Indeed. Well, thank you ever so much, Carrie. I really appreciate um, okay. talking no, to you. Okay, that's good. Enjoy talking to you. Yeah. And I'll, I'll tell my mum that I spoke to you. Okay, cool. Say hello to your mum then. All the best. <laughs> cool. Bye-bye. Bye. Many thanks to MP Kerry McCarthy for joining us on this week's episode of Bristol Unpacked. I'm Neil Maggs. Big thanks to our executive producer, Adam Cantwell-Corn, and to our production team from the Bristol Cable in collaboration with Ession Noise. Also, Blue Dot for our music. <laughs> <laughs>